This paid program may not represent the views of Hubbard Broadcasting Incorporated or Federal News Radio. Statements and opinions of this broadcast are solely those of individual contributors or advertisers as indicated. Federal News Radio does not take responsibility for those statements or opinions and accepts no responsibility or liability for any inaccuracy, errors, or omissions reported during this program. Welcome to the Business of Government Hour, a conversation about management with a government executive who is changing the way government does business. The Business of Government Hour is produced by the IBM Center for the Business of Government, which was created in 1998 to encourage discussion and research into new approaches to improving government effectiveness. You can find out more about the center by visiting us on the web at businessofgovernment.org. And now, the Business of Government Hour. Welcome to the Business of Government Hour. I'm Michael Keegan, your host and managing editor of the Business of Government magazine. The U.S. federal government spends more than $3.5 trillion annually. The data on this spending lacks transparency. Moreover, the data are often incomplete or have quality limitations. To address these issues, several statutes were enacted over the last decade. The most recent is the Digital Accountability and Transparency Act of 2014, also known as the Data Act which expands previous legislation so that taxpayers and policymakers can track federal spending more effectively. When fully implemented, the Data Act will require federal agencies to disclose their direct expenditures and link federal contract, loan, and grant spending information to agency programs. Strong and consistent leadership will be needed to ensure that the Data Act is fully implemented. What are the requirements of the Data Act? How is it being implemented? And what are some of the key challenges in implementing the Data Act? We'll explore these questions and so much more with our very special guest, Karen Lee, Chief of the Federal Financial Systems Branch within the Office of Management and Budget. Karen, welcome to the show. It's great to have you. Thank you very much. Karen, let's provide some context before we delve into specific initiatives. What is the mission of the Office of Management and Budget, OMB, and how is it organized? So OMB is is a little bit of an enigma, I think, for most outside the Beltway. It is an agency within the executive office of the president um, within the White House, charged with the mission of developing the president's budget on an annual basis, as well as overseeing and managing the administration of policies government-wide. Within OMB, we have two major areas, the budget and the management side, the M and the B side of the House. Um, The budget side is responsible for developing the president's budget, working with every federal agency to develop that submission on an annual basis. The management side of the House really works across agencies on government-wide management initiatives. In my area, for example, um, we work on financial management policies. And uh, there is a procurement policy area of work, an e-government policy, an information policy um, area of work, as well as a performance and personnel area of work as well. OMB is is charged with a very broad government-wide mission, um, and it's comprised of a a very large, sizable community. contingency of civil servants um, with some policy official leadership as well. So what about um, your role? 
with an OMB? So I am in the Office of Federal Financial Management. Um, an office started in 1990 pursuant to a statute called the Chief Financial Officers Act. And the problem that our office was trying to solve at the very uh, onset of its work was how to ensure we had government-wide financial management policies. Um, how do we make sure that we know agency by agency that dollars were being spent as they were appropriated um, and how we keep track of that? As we moved from 1990 to where we are now in 2015, we've evolved um, in our work. And so agencies um, have evolved to have audited financial statements. And what we are moving to now is using financial management policies as a way to sort of leverage our work and best practices to ensure that we're spending every dollar the way they should be spent. My area of expertise um, has been in three core portfolio uh, sectors. One is government-wide grants management policy, where we develop and help implement policies related to the over $600 billion of federal funds that go out the door in the form of federal grants. The second area is federal real property management. And the exciting thing about this area is that where we have 1.1 million assets, um, just pieces of real property, we spend a substantial amount of money in operating, maintaining, managing these properties. How can we use that property best to maximize how we deliver our mission to the American people? And the third area is uh, federal spending transparency, uh, fiscal transparency. And the policy problem we're trying to solve there is how do we provide to the uh, public an understanding of how we spend every federal dollar, where it goes, for what purpose, and why. But then internal facing into the federal government, how do we use that data to inform and improve our decision making? So you, you mentioned the three portfolios. What are the top three, say, three challenges you face in your role, and have you sought to address those challenges? It's a great question, and and uh, if I could flip your question a little sure. bit and think of it now, this challenges which always seem so heavy and sort of uh, policy laden, but opportunities or just openings for us across the federal government. So I think one of them is really that we um, within the Office of Federal Financial Management and thinking management-wide, as we think of our management initiatives, our charge is to help evolve um, and continue to evolve how the federal government works. One opportunity, as you think about any organizational change, is really how to change the culture of the organization in a way where it both resonates for those who sit in the enterprise in those organizations and also stays true to the mission of the individuals who um, work and breathe there. Agencies, organizations, the federal government works for a reason. It has evolved to where it is for a reason. And so it is not up to us to fundamentally change the core business, um, but to make improvements. And so I think as we work government-wide, you know, one of the things that I always want to keep in mind is that there is respect to be paid for why we do what we do the way we do it. And the opportunity is really to speak to the mission um, and how we can continue to improve it. I think one of the second sort of openings for us is how to frame up our opportunities to make even more of an impact where we have both um, near-term kind of wins as well as longer-term institutionalized changes that last. You know, we are all human beings, and part of the way we all operate is that change is difficult unless you see something fundamentally um, or sometimes just even anecdotally change um, that has meaning to you. Um, and I think the third, I, I couldn't be from OMB if I didn't put this on the table, is certainly resources. Change, be it change dealing with systems or real property or 
just the way in which we do business. That all comes with some set of resources that's needed to engender that change. And certainly, we try each year as we think about our management initiatives to ensure that there are sufficient resources to to effectuate that change. So, you know, along with those openings, you are leading or involved in a government-wide effort right now with the Data Act. And those efforts can be fraught with unanticipated and unexpected surprises. So to that end, what has surprised you most? One of the things that has surprised me most um, is the receptivity Mm -hmm. to the change. Very early on, and even prior to the Data Act's passage, there was a groundswell of interest in what opportunity this brought. And unlike an approach which would be um, that we have a statutory requirement and what do we need to do to, to meet that requirement and then move on to the next. The Data Act and the lead up to the Data Act was very much fundamentally, how can we use this as a next step in continuing our work on federal spending transparency? And so that has been a very happy surprise from where we sit. The second area that surprised me um, as we think about Data Act implementation has really been how we are moving forward on that implementation. Um, historically, when we have a statutory set of requirements. Um, OMB works across federal agencies and, and can, in some ways, identify the path of how we get from where we are today to where we need to be in one, two, or five years. With the Data Act implementation, we've taken a very different approach, um, in large part with much leadership from Treasury, our partner, um, as we've implemented the Act. And the approach has really been we have a set of outcomes we need to meet. Um, those outcomes are to improve the transparency of how we spend federal dollars. The path to get there may not be the same path by every single agency because fundamentally at its core, the Data Act is changing how we do business. Mm-hmm. I think that's part of the message that we continue to want to bring public-facing is that there is a transparency we're going to provide the public, but the real change is what's going to happen within the agencies that will frankly take a while for the public to maybe even see and manifest the benefits of that change. But I think, you know, surprisingly, I think how we are implementing the Data Act in the outcome really is going to change how we do business. And that's not something that I fully appreciated until, um, frankly, we've gotten as far as we have today. What are the requirements of the Data Act? We will ask Karen Lee, Chief of the Federal Financial Systems Branch within the Office of Management and Budget, when our conversation continues on the Business of Government Hour. How can DOD improve its acquisition processes? Check out the latest IBM Center report, Eight Actions to Improve Defense Acquisition. The authors emphasize the urgency of acquisition reform in DOD, given budgetary constraints and security challenges, finding that DOD will need to gain every possible efficiency while resisting the temptation to buy defense on the cheap. This report continues the IBM Center's interest in better understanding and improving the federal government acquisition process. Download your free copy at businessofgovernment.org. Welcome back to the Business of Government Hour. I'm Michael Keegan, your host, and our guest today is Karen Lee, Chief of the Federal Financial Systems Branch within the Office of Management and Budget. So, Karen, would you give us a brief history of the federal financial transparency efforts and the laws particularly? Perhaps you could start with the requirements of such laws like the Federal Funding Accountability and other acts like the Data Act um, that compose this regime. Sure. 
Um, and so I think our work on federal spending transparency starts with the kernel of an idea, a very simple idea, which is the federal government has a responsibility to the public um, to publish um, and educate on how we spend those taxpayer dollars. Um, it's fundamental for accountability purposes. With the Federal Funding Accountability and Transparency Act, um, some call that FAFATA, um, others call it the Transparency Act. It was passed in 2006 with a very straightforward request, and that is to put in one place a publicly available free website how the federal government spends taxpayer dollars through the vehicles of a federal grant, a federal contract, a federal loan, or other type of financial assistance. And the act contemplated at the time that the reporting would be of awards grant, contract, loan awards, $25,000 or more. Put that on a public-facing website that anyone could look at any time of the day, and in addition, show who the money went to, for what purpose, where was the work, the performance, um, sort of the activity being done, how much went to that organization, and be able to trace those dollars not just from what we call the prime recipient, which is the entity that received the dollars directly from the federal government, but where that entity, that prime recipient, awards a portion or maybe even all of that money to somebody else, some other organization to carry out its mission, to be able to trace those dollars as well. Where that passed in 2006 with some amendments in 2008, the intervening sort of uh, statute that came to pass at that point was the Recovery Act, which I think is very commonly known um, nationwide as a stimulus package with an effort to identify quick areas of work that could really engender um, economic bursts of activity in localities or across sectors. Um, The Recovery Act was game-changing in transparency because not only did it embody what the Federal Funding Transparency Accountability Act wanted to have accomplished for the purpose of transparency, but it also added a visual layer of interest and accessibility to the data. Under the Recovery Act, um, we had a website called recovery.gov. And recovery.gov did an amazing thing in being able to plot how we spent dollars geographically. So you could see as somebody's sitting out at 3 o'clock in the morning how much your county received in stimulus dollars. And you could hover over and identify what that project was. So that when you drove into work the next day, you could say, hey, gosh, I yes, that I see that $25,000 being worked on on this road. It added accessibility to data that really was, frankly, game-changing. As we moved from 2009 and the implementation of the Recovery Act, there was a necessary change of how we thought about our federal spending transparency work. It was not simply to publish data, but it was to publish data so that it would be accessible, understandable, and comprehensive to anybody, not just those of us within the Beltway within Washington, D.C., that it could help fundamentally states and local governments do their work. It could fundamentally help an organization interested in knowing what other activity was happening in its area of work by just going to this website. We then moved to 2014 where there was a call for providing transparency not just of the Recovery Act dollars, and not just of our federal award spending, spending of grants and loans and, and procurement dollars, but fundamentally of the entire budget. Because the call by 2014 was, we've made some gains in showing federal award spending, 
that's only a piece of the budget. We've made some gains in showing stimulus spending and been able to do it incredibly well, but that still is only a piece of the budget. Let's be able to show the entire budget and where those dollars go, be it for activities that occur outside of the federal government or within the government. And that's fundamentally what the Data Act is is, um, endeavoring to do, is to have us provide that transparency, public-facing, in an accessible way. And that's not only through the display of the data, but use of data standards so that um, that data can be aggregated and disaggregated however folks choose to within or outside of the government. That's a nice history. Thanks. Um, So with that as the context and and delving a little deeper into uh, the Data Accountability and Transparency Act, a.k.a. the Data Act, what are some of the key requirements that are incumbent upon the agencies to do? And what are some of the milestones you're pursuing? Um, The first statutory deadline was May of this year, where we were to establish um, final financial data standards. Um, And again, the import of this, though it sounds kind of geeky, data standards are not something that's incredibly glamorous, but I think they seem to have gotten a lot of glamour play now. But the import of data standards is that once you have a standard way of thinking about the same kinds of data You can do magical things. You can start slicing and dicing data in different ways. And I think one of the the examples um, that I think of in in lay terms is when you go to the grocery store. And uh, now with the onset of the self-checkout aisle, Mm -hmm. you have to put in, when you buy a a bunch of bananas, you put in that, that code, that 4011 code. That code is a way of standardizing that you've got a banana. And that is the same code you use across every single grocery store across the country, it's the same code internationally that banana growers use. And it is a way for us to talk internationally about that one thing. So when you talk about a fruit that's 4011, everyone knows it's a banana. Same idea within the Data Act and our federal spending data, that once we start public-facing using a standard uh, and we define a, a, a cluster of data to all mean that same thing, you can start doing amazing things with it. You can take data and start identifying, gosh, with this piece of obligation data that I have from one agency, I can build that together with the other 24 CFO Act, the largest agencies across the federal government, and I can start putting together a picture of the federal government's obligated dollars. Um, You can't do that unless you have clear data standards across the board. Um, And so that was our first milestone in May. Our second milestone was in in addition to data standards, we um, took the opportunity to issue guidance. Working with the Department of Treasury as well as our federal colleagues, um, we developed a memorandum that spoke to data quality. And one of the reasons why we did this was we have been working on federal spending transparency for quite some time, well before the Data Act. And during that period, we, along with not only our federal stakeholders but our non-federal stakeholders, have all identified opportunities to improve the quality of our federal spending data. Um, and so to that end, we wanted to take this May time frame where we issued final data standards to also issue some policy moves um, across the federal agency community to improve data quality. Um, and we did so in OMB's Memorandum 1512. Moving forward over the next two years, we have a lot of work that needs to be done. We have a statutory deadline by 2017 of bringing all of this data, um, taking the entire federal budget and being able to plop it onto one publicly facing website and be able to disaggregate that data 
down to award-level spending. So really tying the dollars from the time that they are appropriated to a federal agency all the way to when they're ultimately um, obligated and, and spent. In the meantime, to get to 2017, milestones such as implementation by the agencies, changes within the agencies of how they do, potentially how they do their work, identifying, um, most importantly, how they want to use the data. And one of the things that we've heard within the federal agency community is that some of this data is not data that is new. They have this information, but there could be a value in having the information all in one place to inform decision-making as an enterprise um, within the agency. So it kind of gets into the next question I had around you've been very intimately connected to this effort. Where I'm going with this is any government-wide effort requires a focused plan of action in order to meet those rather ambitious uh, milestones, which I believe are set in stone. So would you explain for us or give us some context around the governance and implementation structure being employed to meet those requirements? Um, So we have a pretty extensive governance structure because when we think about the Data Act um, and fundamentally what we are trying to do here, which is join together not only the data across every federal agency, but also, and probably even equally importantly, join the data within any agency. And what I mean by that is we within the federal government have done an exceptional job making sure that we specialize in areas to ensure uh, strong accountability, oversight, and management. So, for example, in our grants management world, we have individuals who are dedicated and technical experts in every single grants management policy. We have similar expertise in budget and finance and performance management as well. And we've done such a good job growing that expertise and that skill set across the workforce that we have in some ways lost the ability to connect across those areas of work. And so part of our Data Act um, effort is also to join those functional communities together. In terms of uh, our implementation plan and governance, in order to pull everyone together, um, we've taken kind of a multi-cross-sectional approach, if that even is a strategy. So part one is recognizing that within any given agency, there are multiple um, what we call functional communities, basically just clusters of folks who specialize in an area, budget, finance, information technology, procurement, grants and financial assistance, performance, that we have representation of each of those communities of interest, those ways of thinking about management and oversight. And we've pulled them together in something we call an interagency advisory committee. We call it an I, the IAC for the Data Act. And in having representation from each of those ways of thinking, those kind of disciplines, um, we're able to have government-wide conversations about data standards and implementation that not only keeps in mind but really ensures that the equities of each of those ways of thinking are maintained, despite the fact that we also want to coordinate across. The second way in which we have thought about governance, in addition to this cross-functional community approach, has been across agency. So not only within across different areas of expertise are we joining and coordinating, but across every agency are we coordinating. Um, and so we've um, identified across within each agency something we call a senior accountable official. 
Their job, um, we call it the SAO, that individual's job um, is to bring together within their own enterprise, within their agency, their department, the different communities of interest and speak with one voice on behalf of that agency. We've learned that every agency has a perspective as well on what transparency and federal spending means to them. And so having that vantage point, that perspective at the table is incredibly important, as well as having a point person to help with the implementation of the Data Act. Um, This is a key lesson we learned from Recovery Act implementation of having one person be able to coordinate the activities across an agency. The third area in which we've kind of um, pulled together the governance and implementation is with our non-federal partners. In very broad strokes, we have come to work very, very closely, not only with our recipient community, recipient of federal funds community, which includes our grants and financial assistance organizations and and units, but also those in the open government community, those who really care about transparency and federal spending and accountability and publishing that information. And finally, those in industry who care about supporting fundamentally our government work with the services and products that they could offer. So I'd like to follow on with the implementation approach. And I think I read it was five characteristics. Could you tell us a little bit more about those? In terms of the five steps that you mentioned, um, you know, two key ones that I want to highlight are this concept of data-centric implementation and iterative. So the the concept of a data-centric approach is that rather than throwing all of the data into one place, and then printing it up and publishing it for purposes of public consumption. We want to take the data as it is from the agencies. And one of the reasons why this is so fundamentally important as we think about management and implementation is that if we are serious about using data to drive decisions, we're serious about agencies using their data to drive decisions or for those with outside of the agency context to look at that data and inform an agency's decision-making. We can't fundamentally change that data into something else for public consumption because by doing that, it's no longer any given agency's data. Data-centric is incredibly important for that reason, for management purposes. Um, It's also incredibly important um, to ensure that we have a very nimble way of implementing. Rather than create whole new systems we can instead just take the data as it is and in some ways and non-technically kind of translate it for public consumption, but keep the integrity of the data as it is within the agencies. The second, one of the second concepts I want to just tease out a little is this concept of iteration. Mm-hmm. There's a, um, a concept of agile development that is very um, much proliferating across the federal government. And at its core, it's really, the way I see it, is being comfortable with uncertainty and being comfortable with trying in short bursts an idea and seeing whether or not it works. And if it doesn't work, then we shift course. But we've course corrected soon enough that we're not setting ourselves up for failure at the end. So you mentioned data standards before, the example of the banana. I want to talk about the efforts around data standards and in particular definitions of those uh, standards. What is the goal of this effort, and why is it so important? It's a great question. There's no ambiguity about what that piece of data represents. Um, An obligation means X. Okay, now I know what that data means, and for analytical purposes, I'm very clear on how I can use that piece of information. One of the things that we found in our work under Data Act um, to date is that we don't lack data standards 
we actually have too many. And we have too many in that each of our areas of expertise or specialization have used terms, sometimes um, with different definitions fundamentally, because of the way in which we use that piece of data. And so what we've learned, and I very much come to really understand and respect, that it is not that any standard is better than the other, and there's no one standard that's more correct. It's just that every standard has been used for a particular reason in a particular context. And our challenge is when we put this data to the public who may not be steeped in our day-to-day work within the federal government, what is the definition that makes the most sense for them to understand what they're seeing at 3 a.m. in the morning when they have no one to call and they don't know who to ask? And so that's why data definition is so incredibly important because without them, we can't communicate what that data means to anybody. And you alluded to earlier what has been accomplished to date so far. What remains to be done? In that area, there's a lot that remains to be done. Where we issued a set of final data standards, there are more that we're working on. Um, we identified um, 57 data elements that we wanted to standardize, not just um, for purposes um, under the data, but also more broadly, just to improve our transparency in federal spending. We have, um, in working with our federal and non federal partners, state and local governments, federal agencies alike, recipients, open government communities, and industry, they've all identified opportunities for us to be more precise or um, clearer in some of our definitions. So we've identified a set of 57 data elements with a goal of finalizing all of those by the end of the summer. And in addition to that, where we are going to be finalizing uh, the remaining set of our data definitions, we anticipate that there are more to do. You kind of alluded to some of them, but what are some of the key challenges of doing this that you faced, and how have those challenges been overcome? So one of the key challenges is really to put aside the notion that there is a competitive nature to a data definition, that there's we're trying to find the best data standard. It, it's almost like children. There's not one that's the best out of all of them. They're all equally wonderful. Um, it's just which one is the appropriate one to put in front of that ant for that uh, Thanksgiving meal. And so similarly with data standards and data definitions, um, it's not that there's one that's better. It's just one that may be more appropriate for what we are trying to message and make understandable to the public. And what we've endeavored to do over the past year, and we will continue to do, is clarify the scope and purpose of the activity. That in identifying a data standard, data definition, it is all about what provides the most understandable transparency, and for us to be consistent about what we want, to, what we need to communicate to the public. Mm-hmm. So the challenge of, I think, just ensuring that we are consistent and clear about the purpose of the data standards um, has really been overcome, I think, with the constant dialogue within the federal community and outside the federal community. I think with data standards as well, there's a lot of excitement for data standards and a desire to have these done three years ago. So, Karen, would you place the Data Act and its requirements in the context of the federal spending life cycle? So, in the context of the federal spending life cycle, the Data Act captures when dollars come to the executive branch through the appropriations process, when that dollar is um, sort of put into a federal agency, what happens to that dollar after that point, what account does it get put in, how is that dollar spent categorically, be it for salaries or expenses, or goes out the door for a grant or a procurement, how those dollars are obligated, 
um, so amounts of obligations. And then as we think about the award level spending, where does that money go? What organization, governmental unit, or what have you, where does that money go? For what reason? How much? And where is the activity being um, pursued? And so what we get out of Data Act implementation is really kind of an insight into the time in which that dollar comes into the executive branch, into the federal agency world, um, all the way through um, when that dollar leaves and how it, it is ultimately expended, either through an obligation and then an outlay. How is the Data Act being implemented? We will ask Karen Lee, chief of the Federal Financial Systems Branch within the Office of Management and Budget, when our conversation continues on the Business of Government Hour. Government leaders and managers face major challenges today, including fiscal austerity, citizen expectation, the pace of technology and innovation, and a new role for governance. These challenges influence how government executives lead today, but more importantly, how they can be prepared for tomorrow. The IBM Center report, Six Trends Driving Change in Government, offers a path forward for government executives responding to the ever-increasing complexity and challenges they face today. Download your free copy at businessofgovernment.org. Welcome back to the Business of Government Hour. I'm Michael Keegan, your host, and our guest today is Karen Lee, Chief of the Federal Financial Systems Branch within the Office of Management and Budget. So, would you tell us more about the pilot to reduce reporting burden, and what does it mean to demonstrate the quote-unquote data broker concept? So the the pilot to streamline reporting burden is an incredibly exciting one. And frankly, it's one that is the logical extension of our work, both on the procurement side of the house, but also the grants um, and financial assistance side of the house. It's a problem that we've talked about for quite some time and we've been working on for quite some time. At its heart, um, the Data Act asks us to identify ways in which we can reduce the burden of federal recipients of federal dollars in reporting back to the government. So here's a policy problem. Um, we award a grant to a, an organization or a state and local government. As part of that award, they have to report back how that dollar is being expended, what's the performance of that grant or other type of award. And there's a lot of um, what we call kind of administrative burden time it takes to report back to the federal government, reports that need to get submitted back. But in addition to that, even before the award is made, there's a lot of burden to apply for these. It takes a lot of time and effort to apply for a grant. It takes a lot of time and effort to apply for a loan or any kind of financial assistance as well. And so our charge under this pilot is, can we identify ways in which we can reduce the amount of time um, it takes to report or submit information to the government, um, reduce the duplication, reduce the costs, so that those who receive those federal dollars to execute the important missions of our agency or to provide services and other goods to our, the federal government can focus the dollars on that as opposed to reporting. We tackled this head-on uh, in the grants world where we issued something called the Uniform Guidance earlier and uh, two years ago, just went into effect this past December 2014, where there was a charge that we put on the table um, and implemented policies to support ways in which we could standardize reporting. Because the idea, right, is that if you standardize reporting, you could report 
ideally once, and have that reporting used multiple times for multiple purposes. The Section 5 pilot, as we call it under the Data Act, um, asks us to identify recommendations to streamline reporting burden. It covers both grantees and contractors. And we are incredibly excited about this opportunity because it puts a nice spotlight on the work that we've started and that we're going to continue over the next two years. The pilot, as we've envisioned it, is multifaceted, kind of multidimensional. And what I mean by that is there's not one reason why there's a lot of reporting burden. There are lots of reasons. Um, There's reporting burden because we as a federal government just may not do a good job in ensuring there isn't duplicative reporting required. We as a federal government may foist unnecessary burden because we ask the same recipient to report the same thing slightly differently using different words to two different programs. And gosh, wouldn't it be so much easier if they reported the same thing using the same definition? There is burden because we ask uh, recipients to report information or apply three different places depending on the agency or the program. And so there are lots of reasons why um, recipients may be laden in burden. Um, And our pilot um, is endeavoring to identify as many of those as possible and test out as many solutions as possible. Earlier this year in May, we uh, launched something we call National Dialogue. The National Dialogue is intended to solicit from the public Um, grant recipients, contract recipients, anybody, um, ideas of how we can reduce burden. What we anticipate is that there'll be some great um, recommendations that we can institutionalize that hit each of those types of recipients, but ideally also across the board for both types of recipients. That is to say, an organization or a state or local government that receives both grants and contracts. How can we reduce their burden where they have to engage in the government in both of those ways? Mm-hmm. The data broker, um, the data broker is um, really a lot about streamlining the burden for agencies as we think about how they report their data, but also as we think about how the federal data can be used by state and local and tribal governments or other organizations, um, it's incredibly important for them as well. Uh, Speaking of data, um, what are the key, perhaps you could highlight for us, the key data sources that are involved in the spending lifecycle? So there are lots of data sources. There are data sources that are traditionally what we would think of um, as financial managers, the traditional financial management finance systems. Um, And so every agency has one or a suite and sweet being anything from two to many financial systems um, that um, keep an accounting of the dollars. In addition, though, as we contemplate our um, next iterations of USAspending.gov um, or its successor site, we are going to be joining up that key financial data with management data. Um, that is to say, information about grants, information about procurement actions, information about loans and other kinds of financial assistance. And so this will also include data sources that have that kind of information. With the opportunity with the Data Act is for us, all of us, um, is to pull all these pieces of data together and knit um, a very sort of coherent and comprehensive story of not only the finances, but the management side of how we spend the dollars. So what are you doing to improve the quality of data that's submitted to USAspending.gov right now? 
It's a great question, and this is uh, something that comes up um, time and time again as we think about information on, on our public-facing websites. Um, first and foremost, I would be remiss if I didn't say that data quality is not just about timeliness, accuracy, and completeness, but it's also about perceived data quality. That is to say, have we appropriately um, and adequately put the data in context? Because sometimes, sometimes the data is not wrong. It's not inaccurate. It's not incomplete. We just haven't given enough context um, for somebody who is just looking at it cold without somebody next to them um, educating on the data source. Not having that context um, makes um, there be a perception that there's something wrong with the data. And so part of our work, frankly, is making sure that as we move forward on federal spending transparency, that we give appropriate context to what each of the pieces of data means. That's not only through our data definitions, but also as we scope out um, and think about the display of the data, making sure that there's a narrative that anyone can follow um, without having, you know, a federal sector person sit next to you and explain what the data means. In terms of the timeliness, accuracy, and completeness of the data, part of, I think, our opportunity with data quality is to really address how we can improve the data by using it. Time and time again, I think we've seen there be reporting requirements for the purpose of oversight and accountability. But those reporting requirements have nothing to do with those who actually not only develop the data um, and report the data or are part of the program management. And so more often than not, what happens is that we create reports and generate for third parties to use. But we as an agency or as a program don't use that data ourselves. And as a result, natural human instinct, it may not be the highest quality data. We don't use it on a daily basis. Um, So our opportunity in the Data Act um, and sort of one of our first order principles is if we can, across the federal community and within every agency, identify use cases of how we want to use this data that is reported to USA Spending, we should be able to assure the quality. So, you know, I've been asking you in your efforts with Treasury about the challenges of implementation that you've been facing, and maybe they're similar, uh, but I'd like to turn it a little bit around. What are the challenges that federal agencies are facing in trying to meet the milestones that are laid out in the Data Act? So I think the the biggest challenge across uh, the federal agency community is that um, this is one of many, many priorities um, federal agencies have. You know, across our federal our agency counterparts, their jobs, their, their daily jobs is to effectuate the mission of their agencies. This is incredibly important, certainly. But day to day, they have a direct and daily mission to ensure that they execute, that is to say, provide food stamps to those who need it, provide health care to those who are with exigent medical needs to provide educational services to those elementary and secondary um, children. Reporting and data standards um, in some ways um, can be very abstract when you think about your mission. Um, and so I think one of our one of the things that we have been um, wanting to really embed the Data Act in agencies is how they do business and how they carry out the mission. The Data Act cannot be an extra thing. Um, the federal community does not have time for an extra thing. But if we are successful in having this be a management reform that helps federal agencies and programs do their work and do it better, it not only is part of their daily work, but is something that they have the capacity 
to do and do well. So I think that's that's one of the – for federal agencies, I think that is one of the opportunities um, for us to continue to work with them. I think, you know, the, the second is as federal agencies do their work, every agency is, is its own culture. Sometimes agencies are small and they're made up of but several hundred people. Other agencies are thousands, if not tens of thousands potentially, in terms of workers, very large workforce. With the Data Act as we have conceived of it, it's not just reporting. It's a management and culture change. Um, That takes a long time. Agency cultures are not created overnight, and people don't change overnight either. And so there is – we have to have, as we think about the Data Act, some tolerance of how how we can move through and meet the requirements and improve transparency, but also recognize that there's some fundamental sort of changes in how we think of doing business that will take some time. What are some of the key challenges in implementing the Data Act? We will ask Karen Lee, Chief of the Federal Financial Systems Branch within the Office of Management and Budget, when our conversation continues on the Business of Government Hour. In a world inundated with all kinds of information, timely, relevant, and more predictive data can drive better decision-making. Law enforcement agencies are at the forefront in leveraging data and using innovative software to generate predictions that help police prevent crime. What is predictive policing? How can using analytics make us safer? Check out the IBM Center report, Predictive Policing, Preventing Crime with Data and Analytics by Jen Bachner, and find out. Download your free copy at businessofgovernment.org. What do agency leaders need to know about the federal acquisition process? What are some of the key federal procurement trends? And how can agency leaders overcome today's acquisition challenges? Check out the new Senate report, A Guide for Agency Leaders on Federal Acquisition, by Trevor Brown and find out. The report offers practical recommendations for improving federal acquisition. Download your free copy of A Guide for Agency Leaders on Federal Acquisition at businessofgovernment.org and find out how the business of government is not business as usual. Welcome back to the Business of Government Hour. I'm Michael Keegan, your host, and our guest today is Karen Lee, Chief of the Federal Financial Systems Branch within the Office of Management and Budget. Well, I I always talk to my guests about the use of collaboration and partnerships among agencies, branches of government, and with the private sector to achieve mission results. You've, You've kind of touched on it throughout our conversation today. It's really nice. But how are you leveraging partnerships to this effect? And what are you doing to continually engage external stakeholders? So partnerships are at the core of the Data Act work. Um, And here's the reason why. Um, The reason why we're doing this is so that we can meet the needs of federal agencies, of our recipients, um, of the open government communities, of industry, of ourselves as a federal government, as an enterprise. We're trying to be all things to many, many different interests. And so we cannot be successful um, if we don't understand what those interests are. And um, we continue to take them not only into account, but um, have them have them be part of our vision development of what this is to be. And so in, in our minds, it's not only about leveraging the partnerships, it's making sure that we have everyone at the table. This is not 
um, ours to direct and guide um, on our own. It's ours to facilitate kind of where we all want to get to. I very much liken it to our work under the uniform guidance in grants management policy, where um, from an OMB perspective, we knew there were three opportunities, one to streamline reporting, two to better target risk of waste, fraud, and abuse, um, and three, to really think more about performance over um, just compliance and reporting. How we were going to achieve those, we weren't quite sure. Frankly, OMB really only has, we only have so much in terms of our interaction with sort of the day-to-day work of grants management and really understanding how grants um, sort of push forward the agenda of a particular program. So where we didn't have all the answers, we had to get all the stakeholders, all the partners in the firm and say, look, here's what we want to do. What are your ideas of how we can do that? So too in the Data Act. We have a very clear, I think, sort of outward-facing goal to provide accountability of how we spend those federal dollars. How do we get there? Well, there are a lot of different ways we could get there, and there are a lot of different sort of milestones and um, outputs and sort of short-term outcomes we could hit. How we rack and stack those, not so sure until we sit down with everyone and understand who cares about what the most and why. Um, and so in, in order to have that kind of dialogue, it's a big task because it's basically everybody. Everybody is really part of this very large Thanksgiving meal. And so the way we do it is multiple forms. Um, one is across the um, I call them the functional communities, but kind of the the budget, finance, performance, grants, communities across the federal government, getting those players together and understanding what their equities are from each of their perspectives. Same thing across the federal community, getting each agency's perspective. What do they care about? How are they implementing? What are their pain points? Um, And then finally, with the non-federal partners, again, um, from from their community vantage points, be it transparency and open government, industry or recipients, what do they want the most? What is the thing if they had, you know, they'd be, you know, by 2017, they would just be so incredibly happy because this really is what they need to further their mission. And then finally, kind of the broader public. Somebody who is not part of any of these but just really wants to be an informed um, person who understands how the federal government works. And there we have more of an open forum just using just, you know, our, our the Internet um, and allowing for that public feedback on an ongoing basis. So what, do you, what resources are available to federal agencies and how are you helping departments with the implementation? So in terms of resources, um, in FY16, President's budget reflected about $85 million to support Data Act implementation. We developed the budget earlier in our Data Act implementation time where we were just, I think, beginning to get up to speed as to how we're going to implement the act. Um, And so we look forward to our work with um, Congress in order to support our Data Act uh, implementation through the 16 fiscal year. Moving forward in in, uh, fiscal year 17, we're in the process of building that budget. So more to come on that as we move through that budget process. But in addition, in terms of resources, too, we're working with agencies to identify how this can be part of how they do their work. There's certainly kind of a lift and a startup lift to doing the Data Act implementation, but where part of it is also improving how we manage. There are some efficiencies that we can find in how we do business right now um, that may just shift 
resources a little bit or reorient them to support our Data Act work as well. So the states are making some great strides in this area. Are you working with the states on this effort? I'm so glad you raised that because they are. Um, And in some cases, the states are well in front of us in thinking about federal spending transparency. And yes, we are. One of the things that we've learned is that states are so much closer um, and and localities are so much closer to um, those who consume the information. Um, And one of the lessons that we learned, frankly, from our Recovery Act experience um, is how states and local governments want to use the the information. Earlier this year, there was a report of states and their efforts in federal spending transparency. Um, And it's just incredibly encouraging um, to see models that have worked and models that we potentially can really replicate at a federal level. I think the other thing, kind of broadening from the states, um, the international community, countries have really been leaning forward on federal spending transparency. And we've been working on an international level um, with our international counterparts for open government. The administration has released um, for several years now um, a national action plan for open government where we've articulated at a high level some of our moves in various areas of open government to include fiscal transparency. Um, and we know that uh, there, are, there are some countries out there who've done just extraordinary things um, in thinking about how they can provide that transparency to the public. And they've grappled with some of the same things that we're grappling with here on data standards and displaying information um, that serves the needs of multiple kinds of um, users as well. So what does the future hold and what is ahead of us? So I think the future holds for us um, a, a different way in which generations will be able to have a lens into the federal government. Um, I think the future holds an opportunity for innovation. We've seen that from data sets on data.gov, um, just extraordinary innovation come out. Even um, going back to the release of the National um, Weather Service data, where now Um, Many of us now have the ability to access on our telephones, whether in places that are tens of thousands of miles away from us um, by a click of a button. And that's because of an application that has taken that government data and made it accessible. Um, So, too, I think there are um, uncharted territories of what we can do with this information that we don't even – we haven't even contemplated. Step one, though, is – getting the data. And I think as we get the data um, together, as we standardize that data, as we publish the data and display it in a way that's understandable, I'm really excited for all of us now and for the generations to come to look at that data and say, gosh, there are, there are hundreds of ways in which we can provide not only transparency of how the government does its work, but also improve the impact of our work. Um, One example of something that we've talked about across state and um, federal and local lines is there is um, an understanding and recognition that state, federal, local, tribal governments, we all try and do the same thing. Fundamentally, we all have the same mission. We all want to help in whatever the area is. And we all put money to support those missions, those same exact missions. But without an understanding of how we're helping, we aren't being able to do it effectively. It's almost as if um, we are all trying to help whatever cluster of constituents or social problem in a room, and we all enter the room at a different time, 
and provide our support services, assistance. Um, and we never know that anyone else has ever been in that room. I think the opportunity with this data is to be really explicit. Here's how we're trying to affect this policy problem. And here's when we did it. Here's how we did it. And here is um, sometime in the long term what the outcome was so that then we could leverage the state, federal, local dollars efficiently and effectively that go to support that same issue that we're trying to improve. So, Karen, before we go, this has been a wonderful conversation, I'd like to ask your advice. What advice would you give someone who's thinking about a career in public service? I love this question. Um, For someone who is uh, thinking about a career in public service, um, I would say first and foremost, do it. There are, there's no dearth of opportunities uh, for you to make a difference and for you to make a difference as an entry-level individual or a senior um, individual. Um, There's no amount of money in the world that will give you the satisfaction of coming into the office and um, doing what you do um, within the federal government. I think second is um, ask. Ask either through USA Jobs. Um, USA Jobs posts all of the opportunities that we have. But also, if you are in the Washington, D.C. area or you're in an area where there are um, sort of field office presence of federal um, government agencies, go in and ask how you can be part of the federal workforce. We yearn for talent every day. Um, and being at OMB, I've had just an extraordinary opportunity to see how one person one person can make an extraordinary difference. Um, and I think finally I would say um, please don't be disillusioned in the sense that as a federal government, um, sometimes change does take a while. And so even though you may see um, on the outside pervasive problems that seem to not be getting fixed, when you're in the federal government, you recognize and realize that there are moves being made um, small but significant, that are moving towards that change. Um, And being a part of that is an extraordinary opportunity that um, I think can't be matched anywhere. Well, Karen, thanks for coming in. I know you guys at OMB and yourself particularly are very busy, but um, I want to thank you for joining us today. But more importantly, thanks for your dedicated service to the country. Michael, thank you so much for the opportunity. I think, um, you know, as we as we sit day to day in our offices um, and and think about these problems, um, I think one of the opportunities that we don't take advantage of is being able to communicate um, the work that we do, um, but also um, invite um, those who don't get to sit in our offices to be part of that. Um, and with the Data Act um, in particular, because it is so outward facing. Um, I invite everyone who may be listening um, to really join join the join the party. Um, there is um, so many there are so many opportunities that we have to think about this data in ways that we haven't even conceived of, um, and think creatively about how we can, as a federal government, do our work better. Um, and that's really um, what it's all about. So thank you. This has been the Business of Government Hour, a conversation with Karen Lee. Chief of the Federal Financial Systems Branch within the Office of Management and Budget. Be sure to join us next week for another informative, insightful, and in-depth conversation on improving government effectiveness. For the Business of Government Hour, I'm Michael Keegan, and thanks for joining us. This has been the Business of Government Hour. Be sure to visit us on the web at businessofgovernment.org. There you can learn more about our programs and get a transcript of today's conversation. Until next week, it's businessofgovernment.org.
What are DOJ's key financial management priorities? How is United Financial Management System, UFMS, enhancing decision-making across the enterprise? What made the UFMS implementation so successful? Join host Michael Keegan as he explores these questions and more with Jolene Loria, Controller, U.S. Department of Justice. Tune in on Mondays at 11 a.m. for the Business of Government Hour on Federal News Radio, 1500 a.m.